So what grade would you give God right now? And by the way, you can't just say pass or fail. And assign a letter grade, A to F. And I think this merits the 11 point system, so you can include a plus or a minus. God should know what we think of his performance. We, uh, we should probably be able to tell him where we think he could improve, where he's slacking off, where he's failing, and the things we think he's excelling at. Now, before you think this is sacrilegious, I mean, isn't that what the Psalms really are? King David and others letting God know what they think. I mean, today's Psalm is pretty much God gets straight A's. But there are others, there are others where God gets D's, D minuses, and even a few F's. I couldn't sleep the other night, so I turned on the TV, and there was this preacher telling people who, none of which, by the way, were in his television studio as he filmed, that God was sick of them, frustrated with them, wearied by them. God had suffered enough, and he was about to do something, and it was not going to be good. However, however, this preacher was willing to step in and mediate between them and God if, and this was very important, if they were willing to do an act of faith such as send a large sacrificial offering to his ministry. I thought about sending him a copy of the Bible with Ephesians 2, 8, 9 highlighted, along with other pertinent passages, but I decided it would be a waste of postage. So I just prayed for anyone who was listening, those who don't understand the beauty and the simplicity of God's grace from, among other places, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. When Constantine legalized the Christian faith in 313 AD, he was not baptized. In fact, he didn't get baptized until 337 AD on his deathbed. He believed that baptism only forgave his sins up to the moment of baptism. And so, if he waited as long as he could, that would mean less of a chance for him to mess things up and lose his eternal life. So, as much as I'd love to say that he's the only person who thinks that, He's not. Far too many people think baptism is about your past sins. But from then on, you've got to earn God's grace and forgiveness by becoming a good little boy or a good little girl. This has led the church into performance-based competitiveness that instead of trusting in the grace and the mercy of God, relies on guilt and shame to push people into becoming worthy of God's love. I heard every time I hear of a church or a group of people using their assumed status with God to lord it over others because they think they're more worthy. Or others who, because of their assumed status with God, allow themselves to be lorded over because they believe they're not worthy. You know, God's grace is an unmerited, unearned gift. Not just for some people, but for all of us. None of us earned it, and none of us merited. Now, this does not mean that we can do anything we want or act any way we want, because as St. Paul said, should we sin that much more so that we can get and experience more of God's grace? And then he says, certainly not. Now, our brains tend to run, though, to one extreme or the other. Either God is mean and nasty, and he's just waiting for us to mess up, so as the King James says, he can smite us. Or he's a grandfatherly figure who says, you know what, do anything you want. Just have fun. I really don't care as long as you're happy. And the Bible stories run the gamut from God being angry because somebody reaches out to study the Ark of the Covenant as it starts to fall, and God zaps him. And then just a few chapters later, God lets all of these people get away with some really, really terrible stuff. It's almost like he doesn't care. Here's one of the things we tend to mess up. We let the consequences or the lack of consequences determine 
whether God is angry at us or he's not angry at us. If we don't get punished, God's not angry. If we do get punished, then God is angry. I wish it was that simple. If every time I sinned, I got punished, I mean every single time I sinned, I immediately got punished, oh, I'm probably still going to choose to sin. But I'm really going to have to think about whether it's going to be worth the punishment I'm going to receive or not. It's when there's a chance that I won't get punished. That's when I'm a lot more well willing to take the chance. Not just with the moment, but without even thinking, perhaps my eternal salvation. You know, in Oscar Wilde's play, An Ideal Husband, there is a line, when the gods choose to punish us, they merely answer our prayers. Garth Brooks' response to this was his song, Unanswered Prayers, where he gave thanks to God for not giving him what he prayed for when he was in high school. In Luke 13, Jesus said, You know those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed? Do you think they were more sinful than all the other people that were living in Jerusalem? Jesus doesn't say that these individuals were innocent. He also didn't say that the tower falling on them wasn't their fault. He just notes that you can't equate the tower falling with them being greater or lesser sinners. And if you're listening between the lines, Jesus tells the crowd, don't think just because a tower hasn't fallen on you that you're better than anybody else. This is why he ends with the words, repent or you too will perish. Salvation by grace through faith is a most peculiar thing. It is designed to lead us into a loving relationship with the God who created us, who redeemed us through the cross, and who walks with us every single moment of our life. And in this relationship, we learn to love God as He loved us. And as we learn to love God, we also learn how to love one another, which is very important since, by the way, we're going to be spending eternity together such a perspective of life under the cross and in the beauty of grace allows us to see with our heart and with our soul, not just with our eyes and mind. But this requires us to know what the purpose of this life really is. See, if the purpose of this life is just this life, then let's face it, we're all failing miserably. <laughs> and after thousands of years of trying harder, it's doubtful that we're going to get our act together and do any better. That's a very depressing thought. But if this life is a gift, and it leads to another life. And we get to live this life knowing that the only failure is rejecting God. There is a freedom to live and laugh and love because that becomes what this life is all about. Living and laughing and loving. In the past year, this congregation has experienced divorce, health challenges, job loss, mental health problems, family dysfunctionality, retirements, death, and a lot of other stressors. And those who were going through these issues, in addition to all the things that COVID-19 was throwing at them, they were not greater sinners than those who weren't going through those things. It wasn't an issue of them increasing their offerings, watching the entire online service, instead of just Miss Kayla's children's message. Praying more, reading the Bible more, coming in person instead of watching online, or signing up for those weekly Zoom. Although I can guarantee at some point in their suffering and pain, they might have wondered if they had only done more, been more, thought more, tried harder, that they wouldn't be going through what they're going through right now. My grandpa retired when I was just four or five. He was a milkman. He got up early, long before anybody else, so that everybody would have the milk and eggs and cheese and all the other dairy products waiting for them in that little box that was on their porch. Now, a few years later, my grandma retired from Mountain Bell. She was a telephone operator. 
In fact, before modernization, the Sullivan Exchange in Denver was located in Aunt Elsie's house right next door to where my grandparents lived. So my grandma just had to walk across the yard in order to go to work. And then she would literally take those cables you've seen and plug them into the various places to connect this person to that person. Now, Ma Bell held a very nice retirement ceremony. It included food and cake and friends and family. Now, my grandpa had shown me the gold watch that he had gotten when he retired. And it was a very nice watch. And grandma said she was going to get a gold watch when she retired. Now, we were not allowed to eat cake until the presentation was made. And I'm always hungry. So I walked up to grandma and I said, Grandma, have they given you the watch yet? And because her boss was standing right next to her, <laughs> he goes, well, now that the surprise is out, we might as well go ahead and have, have the presentation. Now, later on, I was eating my cake. I walked over and I said, Grandma, can I see your watch? And she showed it to me. And it was very nice. And it was very gold. And I said, why did they give it to you? And Grandma said, well, so I could tell time. And then, as only a child can, I turned and I asked her, but you don't have anything to do anymore. Why do you need to tell time? You know, it does seem strange that when you no longer have to get up at a specific time or wait until the whistle blows to go home, that they choose to give you something to measure time with. It's a rather strange gift. Besides your retirement check, what would be the perfect gift for you to get when you retire? Would you settle for a gold watch? How about a cruise, a car, a big check, a new couch in order to take all those long naps on, a Netflix subscription and a big TV to binge watch all the shows that you didn't have time to watch because you were working? What do you expect God to give you when you retire from life for all the things you've done? What do you think you deserve? And by the way, should God be able to scale your retirement gift based on whether he gives you an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F? I can suppose we can let God throw in a plus or a minus in order to accent the grade he gives us. The words of St. Paul. If I preach the gospel, I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if unwillingly, I am entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? Let me read it to you from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message. I'm not writing this to get something out of it for myself. I'd rather die than give anyone ammunition to discredit me or question my motives. If I proclaim the message, it's not to get something for me. I'm compelled to do it and doomed if I don't. If this was my own idea to make a living, then I would expect some pay. But since it's not my idea, but something solemnly entrusted to me, why would I expect to get paid? So you are probably wondering, what am I getting out of it? I'm happy to tell you. You know, life is a lot simpler when you do what you want because you either want to do it or you know it's yours to do. The world would be a much better place if we eliminated the sentence, you know what, someone needs to do something and replace it with, you know what, if somebody's willing to come alongside me, I know that we can get this done. The church has often used the third use of the law to get people to do things, that somebody needs to do something. You see, the third use is basically guilting people into do something. They don't want to, but if you lay it on thick enough, they finally agree. And by the way, most of the time, it's pretty obvious that they really don't want to do it. And sometimes, in fact, way too often, it's even more obvious that they shouldn't be doing it. St. Paul says, if this preaching was my idea, then I'd expect a reward. You would actually owe me for doing what I'm doing. But then he goes on to say, this obligation, this sacred duty, it's been placed on me by God. 
I didn't choose it. He chose me. And that's what makes all the difference. The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger, the Capitol Police officer who died in the line of duty, the FBI agents who died serving a warrant, Captain Sir Tom Moore, many of the doctors and nurses and EMTs that have been working around the clock since COVID-19 started. Often you'll hear them say, hey, it's just who I am, or it's just what I do. If you call them heroes, they're gonna push back and say, reserve that title for somebody else. If you wanna know if somebody should be doing a particular job, ask them if they would still do it even if they didn't get paid. And then wait for the, uh, the answer. You see, someone, when someone is called by God, they will find a way to do whatever needs to be done because they're called. St. Paul continued his job as a tent maker, so someone's ability to pay him would never get in the way of him preaching the gospel. You've heard me read the passage where he lists how many times he was whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, run out of town. He even got bitten by a viper, and you still couldn't stop him. Why? Because it was who he was. And as he said, Woe to me if I don't do it. The prophet Jeremiah put it this way. If I try to hold this back, if I seal it up, it's like a fire in my bones. It's going to come out one way or the other. That's the kind of life that God wants you to live. God doesn't want to chase you around your whole life saying, you know what, if you only did this, if you only did that, if you only tried harder, if you were only like your sister or like your neighbor or like that guy who's so good at everything. You see, as long as that's taking place, that's not God. That's a nightmare. As long as God is viewed as a tyrant judge or an angry, impossible to please boss, we're always going to be afraid of him. And by the way, that means that everything we do, well, we're going to avoid him at all costs. And when we have to be in his presence, we're going to have our eyes downcast. Our hands and knees are going to be shaking. Our voice is going to be stuttering. And we're going to be afraid of failure so much that, that we won't even take the first step. We'll always feel like we've earned a D minus or an F. Like we've never, ever going to be able to do enough. You know, more than anything, God wants you to hear eight simple words. Just eight simple words. God wants you to hear from Him. You know what? I love to watch you live your life. God wants you to hear those words. I love to watch you live your life. You see, what God did on the cross was pure genius. He removed all the pressure, all the, I feel like I got to do more. He also removed all the, I'm not good enoughs. The cross declares that God removed the punishment for our sin. He buried it into the tomb with his son. But when Jesus came out on Easter day, our sin stayed buried. See, God doesn't love us because we've earned his love. He doesn't love us because we're perfect or trying harder or that we're better than most of the people we know. God loves us because we're his children. In the book of Genesis, it says that God created this world and everything in it for us to enjoy. Think about that. Everything around you was given to you to enjoy. Our relationship with God is not performance-based. It's a relationship of love. The pressure's off. See, we're not here to impress Him or perform for Him. We're here to be loved by Him. And then we get to love Him back through our life. I asked you what grade you'd give God. Most of the time when we give God C's and D's and maybe even an F, it's because God isn't doing enough to give us the things that we think we deserve. 
You know, St. Paul says, you know, if that's your plan, if it's your idea, then go for it. And you, you might get a reward, you know, but it's not going to get it from God because it's your idea and your plan. So if it's your idea and your plan, you can go ahead and do it, but don't ask God to bless it or to fill your life up with things because you're doing this on your own. You can't expect God to give you everything you want. But if God has called you, if you have come to that point in your relationship with Him where you realize there are things that need to be done and you're the one who needs to do them, you can expect God to provide everything you need. Oh, it's not going to be easy. But you will have enough faith and passion and grace to see you through. You will do what needs to be done because it's just who you are. God will always look at you and say, I love to see you living your life. And what He wants more than anything is for you to look back at Him and say, you know what, God, it's not always easy, but I love living my life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.